Thank you, worship team. We are, uh, we are still in our proper summer series. We'll do this sermon and one more, then we'll have a Labor Day break and then hit a fall series after that. We're going through the Proverbs. If you're new or, or not here consistently, um, what we've been looking at is wisdom. And, and really the, the title of the series is The Lost Art of Gaining Wisdom. And we've done some introductory type material. We've also had specifics. Shane's preached quite a few, as it turns out, of these sermons. Um, the last time I preached, we looked at speech and words. And, and then primarily the words that we say, both to other people, but also really to ourselves. We have ways of speaking and believing what we say. This week, it's a little differently. It, it's the words we receive, uh, and that is our understanding. I want to really spend some time on what the, what the Proverbs say about understanding. It's, it's a very interesting topic because it's um, unlike some of the topics we've covered, this isn't immediately obvious that we need to grow in this area. In fact, for many of us, we would say, no, I, I like my understandings. I, I cherish them. My goal is to hopefully break us of that a little bit this morning. Uh, there's a great book uh, called Longing to Know. It's about epistemology by Esther Meek. I recommend that book. Um, but in the very beginning, she talks about epistemology as showing your work. Why do you know what you know? And so that's some of the backdrop to what we'll be talking about this morning. Uh, so the Proverbs that we'll be looking at, we'll start in Proverbs 2. I'm going to read 1 to 6 quickly. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding... If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So there we see this being a fundamental process to engage in. We're going to spend a lot of our time looking at this next section, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And then I want to just read a few more that kind of highlight some of the areas where we see that this concept in Proverbs. In verse 319 of Proverbs, we see the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. In 1433, we see wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding, but it makes itself known even in the midst of fools. So the prevalence of wisdom and understanding in our culture. Uh, fifteen fourteen. the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. Verse 18, 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And we have two more. Proverbs 25 says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water but the man of understanding will draw it out. So the purpose of a man is deep, but our process of understanding is to go deep into the heart and seek it and draw it out. And the last one, Shane actually covered this verse a few weeks ago, and I wanted to include it. Verse 23, 23, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. So it's valuable. We're to pursue it. We're to seek it. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, so pray with me and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've not only created all things out of wisdom and understanding, 
but you've created man in your image. And Lord, as those of us who follow you are now given the opportunity to pursue wisdom and understanding. But we need help. We need your spirit. And I pray this morning your spirit would, would open our eyes to this process even just a little bit more so we could go forward, Lord, uh, in our walk with you. Amen. Before I went to seminary, a friend handed me a book called All of Life Redeemed. I highly recommend it. It's out of print, but you can find it. And it's not $400, Mark. It's like 20 uh, a, a follow-up book is called Creation Regained. That one is still in print. We actually read that. They're both very small. And what these books are saying is this. All of life is to be lived under one worldview, one way. Uh, when I joined RUF, we, the philosophy of ministry of RUF is phenomenal. So those of you that are getting involved in RUF, bug Shane. Say, teach me the philosophy of ministry. One of the things that RUF holds to are the fruit of ministry. One of the key fruit is a biblical world and life view. And one of the reasons RUF is so successful on college campuses is it's seeking to take students who are hearing all of this truth about the world and to show them how the Bible also speaks to all of these areas. And I think that's one of the things Reformed theology seeks to do. So worldview is important. Worldview is uh, this concept really starts back with Irenaeus, Augustine, and reformers like Tyndall and Calvin, um, made famous by other later reformers like Abraham Kuyper. Kuyper uh, famously says, there's not one thumb breadth in the whole universe of which Jesus doesn't look at and say, it is mine. Why am I saying this? Because so many of us, if we're not careful, have gravitated toward a different worldview than the scriptural worldview. And we have sort of this area, I'm gonna talk about the sacred over here, the, the, where we apply the scripture, we have this whole vast area of our lives that we don't really see at all how it plugs into the Bible. And the Bible calls us to understanding all areas, to having God be the, the foundation for all of our understanding. Now, there are other worldviews besides the Christian worldview. Uh, the Marxist word for worldview is ideology or ideology. The secular kind of the sciences would use the word system of values. Right, we would define it as a comprehensive framework of one's basic beliefs about things. So my goal this morning is not to give you your worldview. That's your job with Christ. My goal for this sermon is to have us all, if you're a Christian, buy into the fact that God wants you to consult him as you gain your understanding about everything. Now, I don't think you can get every answer in the Bible, and I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But I am saying he wants you to have the humility to turn to him as we seek understanding about this life. Uh, the reason I felt drawn to this is we are living in one of the craziest times, right? Like, crazy. How many of you have read something or seen something and thought, how can they believe that? Raise your hand if that's crossed your mind. Come on. Are you all lying to me right now? You can't lie at church. Every one of us has read something recently or seen something and thought, what, they believe that? What I haven't done is ask that of myself. I've rarely looked at my own understanding and said, that seems wrong. Hopefully this morning we can begin the process of humility and getting it. So three things, how to get under, or getting what does understanding even mean? How do we apply it to every area? And then how do we do it? How do, what's the process of even doing it? So getting understanding. 
uh, in the Proverbs, the one that we're looking at, um, starting in chapter 2, there's this great fatherly statement, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments with you, making your ears attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart, there's this sort of this assumed, if there's your desire for understanding, get it, right? There's this assumption that you and I long for understanding. The Proverbs are assuming this, that we are Christians, that we are justified in Christ, and, and now, if you know the theology of justification by faith, you become a Christian, but the rest of our lives are under the concept of sanctification, right? And then when we go to heaven or Jesus returns, that's called glorification. But in this meantime, in the sanctification, the goal is to gain understanding in all of our areas, right? But what is it and what makes it so hard? Um, it's kind of, to me, it reminds me a little bit of like grammar. You know, we all have a native language. I think most people in this room's native language is English. If it's not, I'd love to hear more about that. But it, whatever your native language is, you learn it, you master it, you're fluent in it. And then some teacher shows up and starts trying to explain it to you. And they say, you know what a noun is? And you're like, no, I don't know what a noun is. What's a, what's a verb? What's an adjective? You know, and you start having to process the details. I feel like worldview is like that. You have one. It's like water to a fish. It's, it's, the, it's the very things you lean on. The question is, what are those things? And have you stopped and thought, why do I believe that? How, can you show your work? How did I come to this conclusion on any issue I feel strongly about? Can you show your work? Because a worldview, is, especially a biblical worldview, is trying to get you to do that. Now, one of the ways that understanding biblically speaking, is radically different from our culture, is it assumes something that for almost all of human history, everyone else assumed. And that was that there was an absolute truth. Before the Enlightenment, every culture had some form of transcendent belief, and they believed it was true. They didn't believe it was just true for them. They thought it was the right thing. And, and, and Christianity, of course, that transcendent truth is Yahweh. It's God. Now, the Enlightenment shows up, and you have this idea of secular humanism. I want to read you a quote of a humanist manifesto. They say, We find insufficient evidence for belief in the existence of the supernatural. It is either meaningless or irre- irrelevant to the question of survival and fulfillment of the human race. As non-theists, we those that find themselves in this group, we begin with humans, not God. Nature, not deity. We can discover no divine purpose or providence for the human species. No death will save us. No, we mu- no deity will save us. We must save ourselves. That is a humanist manifesto that really undergirds much of our culture's worldview. And as Christians, I think it seeps in to our own thinking. Right now, from modernism, you, you moved into postmodernism, and I don't, I don't have the space to explain it, but I will simply say this. We've not regained deity. We've simply lost the fact that we have a common goal. With modernism, everyone didn't believe, God no longer was why we did it. We did it as humans, but there was still a common goal of good. Um, things that came out of modernism, two examples. One's the ghetto, 
Like if you hear of the ghetto now, you think of negative, but the idea behind the ghetto was let's build a utopian structure that can house people of all income levels and we can get rid of poverty and it didn't work. So much of postmodernism is a result of looking back and seeing things like that not work. Now here's another example of modernism for me that uh, I, I don't know, no one's ever said this, but the Jetsons. Anyone watch the Jetsons? I watched reruns of the Jetsons, but man, like, they had like robotic slavery and like dogs and you want anything, but everyone was happy except for the bad guy that made the cogs. Only Marsha Karn seems to know what I'm talking about. The Jetsons were modernism. This is kind of idea that if we can keep progressing with technology, eventually we'll all be happy and pure and great. It's not true. So now we're sort of in this crazy postmodern era and the church is caught in the midst of it. How? Have any of you ever said these words? I just want them to be happy. Have you ever said that? That's blatantly wrong. We don't want people just to be happy. Like if someone goes on a, a shooting spree but it makes them happy, we would be upset with that. But yet we say that because it's, what, it's sort of come at us, again, like water to a fish. What we want is for people to do what they're designed to do, which we believe will make them happy. Do you see the difference? Listen to the way Cornelius Planting says it. In the literature of the Scripture, and Coleman, you actually have this slide if you wouldn't mind putting it up. Wisdom is, broadly speaking, the knowledge of God's world and the knack of fitting oneself into it. The wise person knows creation. He knows its boundaries and limits, understands its laws and rhythms, discerns its times and seasons, respects its great dynamics. He understands that creation possesses its own integrity and significance quite apart from the person's claim on it and quite apart from any possibility that creation will make him happy. The wise person gives in to creation and he gives in to God. He does the first, that is, gives into creation, because he does the second, giving into God. He knows that the earth is the Lord's and so the fullness of, thereof. He knows that wisdom itself is the Lord's. He knows some of the deep grains and textures of the world because he knows some of the ways and habits of its maker. So as we seek understanding and wisdom, we're doing so in complete conjunction with the creator of all things, not apart from it, from him, right? Now, as I move into more practical things, I just want to say, again, I want to bring up this idea of a sacred secular division. My concern and why I'm bringing this up is in this time especially is that I think as Christians, we really do a great job. Many, many Christians would say, this is the Bible. It's the word of God. I believe it. And in areas of sacred, that is religion, they would follow the Bible. But they don't really apply the Bible to their decisions on politics and on just many other issues. Now, let me tell you, you can disagree on politics, and I don't have the right answer. My point isn't to try to feed you correct thinking. The point is, are you, am I, taking every area we believe in and understand and going to Scripture? Are we asking the Lord, will you show me? Now, famously in Deuteronomy 29, 29, paraphrased, God keeps secret the areas that are secret. That's kind of a butchered approach to that verse. We don't know all the details, but my concern for Christians is that we're at least trying. I'm more concerned that we're trying to develop a biblical worldview 
Even if we have so many holes that we don't know the answers, that's okay. But what we want to avoid, and we're going to get to this in point two, is this idea of leaning on our own understanding and just developing our own thoughts apart from Scripture. So understanding is this idea of worldview that God the Creator has created all things, and we go to Him primarily for understanding and knowledge. Point two, then, is in all of our ways. We have to do this in every way, not just in obvious scriptural things like how to do worship and how to have church or whatever, but in every way we are to um, lean on Christ, lean on God. And so we see that in chapter 3. We're going to, again, the backbone of this sermon is chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So the calling there is that we are progressively growing more intimately aware of who God is, and in every area of our life, he's working. You see this in Colossians 3.17, where Paul says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the idea of a worldview that's biblically based is full consistency. I want to give you two options that aren't full consistency. The first I've been kind of looking backwards, and we have historians in the room, so I do. I I tread lightly. I think Richard, you can forgive me. But when the founding fathers are creating America, this project we are in, this beautiful country, and crafting a glorious, you know, constitution, right? Um, And and just all the things that go into that is Jefferson that says all men are created equal. Am I right? Did he say that? He's a historian. Like, like, that's his expertise. So I always get nervous. Jefferson had slaves. How can you say all men are created equal and have slaves? Well, you have to change something. Keep the worldview and change your definition or change the worldview. He keeps the worldview. We love the language, but they define slaves as less than. They had to talk about how they're not fully people, and, and racism is rampant at that time. What makes it so scary is at that time, people in Great Britain and other places are already talking about abolishing slavery. They, were, they had conversations about it, but they were so committed to their things that they would not follow this truth, this beautiful worldview in all their ways, just in some of their ways. So that's one problem of inconsistency. The other option is to just change the worldview. I think Nazis did this, right? Nazis made no, they just said, no, the Aryans are the best. And then they just created their worldview around that. So they were consistent, but it was wrong. The biblical goal is to have a worldview that is both right, but it filters into every part of your being. You cannot keep areas away from the worldview. Okay, illustration. I've used this before, but some of you are new. I love this scene from the movie Contact. The movie Contact is about the human race being visited by some transcendent alien race, and they're sending instructions through this kind of crazy radio thing on how to build like a a machine that'll send somebody through wormholes. It's awesome. You gotta go watch this movie. Jodie Foster. So the whole human race comes together and they vote Jodie Foster to be like the astronaut person, and they build this structure 
and the moment that, you know, they have mission control, they're all watching, and it has these, like, huge double helix things turning, and there's a capsule where she's inside of it, and then the camera goes inside the capsule, and, and it's about to drop, and all of a sudden, the capsule just starts shaking, you know, violently. Well, earlier, when they were discussing how to take these instructions and make them work, someone had the bright idea of putting a chair in the capsule. Because we're humans, you've got to sit down. So they build it, they take a beautiful chair and they insert it. And, and no questions asked, because that's obvious. They, the aliens didn't know what they were doing, apparently. Well, in this moment of vibration, you're, you're thinking, as the viewer, she's going to die. And then all of a sudden, the chair just snaps off. And it just floats. And you realize, you didn't need a chair. Quit adding stuff. Quit applying the instructions only to areas that make sense to you. So that's my example from contact. We are called as Christians to not just follow God's scriptures in areas that are easy, but in every area. When the proverb says this, do not lean on your own understanding. I, I, I think 99% of us who've heard that verse do this. Ah, oh, yes, that is good word, brother. Good word. But when you pause for a minute and think about what it's saying, how many of us, I sort of asked this already, every one of our areas of understanding, we like. Like, I, I have this understanding because it makes sense to me. I'm leaning on it. So when the proverb tells me to stop leaning on my own understanding, I don't just stop. I don't even know what you're talking about because my understandings are all correct. That must be for other people who have dumb understandings. Mine are good. So the challenge is to be able to have the humility to say, where might my understandings be incorrect before you feel it? Because they feel so right. And some good rules of thumb. What are areas you're emotional about? Like you're just like, you know, maybe you need to pause for a minute. Take a deep breath. And that might be one of your areas, right? What areas of, of politics, what areas of even this pandemic, we have sides of the pandemic, we have conspiracy theories, we have crazy candidates running for presidency but not actually live in person, like we have all this stuff happening in our world. You have all these views that you're developing about relationships and social media, where are you just like, this is not budging? That's one thought, figure that out. Secondly, maybe ask the hard question, why? You see, for those that owned slaves, it was because that was monetary. So even Washington, when he, conce- he would have these moments of insight, like, I'm going to finally, I'm going to eradicate slavery from my, my land. But he would always come up with this idea of selling the slaves. It's horrific. So you can just see the kind of like sin and torment. And I know, it's, I know that's a very risky subject area. But I want us to go, if we can look backwards 200 plus years and say, it's so obvious it wasn't. What are you missing? What things are you just so convinced of that you're missing and I'm missing? Are we, are we freeing our hearts up to let the Lord show us these areas? Right? Now, as we move to our last point, I just want to give you two warnings about all the ways. The two problems with um, understanding and trying to find our understanding in all the places of our lives is our two risks are these. Just be aware of these. One is we drift right along with culture. That's the chameleon 
process. We just blend right in, and you'll see Christians you, who just drift right in. And, and college students, that's a big warning. I know it's very easy to do this, where no one would ever know if you don't tell them verbally that you're a believer. We don't want to be chameleons and just shift right off into culture. The culture is glorious, and we love the world. We're just talking about the parts that aren't biblical. But the other big problem that I want to warn us all of is tribalism. Because that is what many of us are afraid of. The church over and over becomes tribal. And that is, it's just that you swing the pendulum and you get in your small group or a large group and you have your rules and it's easy and they're the bad guys and we're going to stick this one out. That's just as bad. That's the point. We don't want to do either of those. So what do we want to do? Point number three. We want to go down the straight path. The straight path. How do we possibly follow these words. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And the answer is this. The secret that you find in this Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 is this. The writer is not trying to encourage us to get the right content, the right words, but the right person. Notice it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he he will make your path straight. Right, so trusting on something is to lean. And what we're finding in the Proverbs is the only true place we should be leaning or trusting is the Lord. But what we tend to do is we don't do that. We fragment from the Lord. We get caught up in our own thinking and we lean toward understanding. Even good rules, good ideas, good philosophies, they won't hold muster without us Resting on the Lord, resting in Jesus. I picture, uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher this one and it's okay, but Narnia, Aslan, there's a scene from one of the books, someone will tell me later in an email, uh, where the two girls are on the back of Aslan. Aslan's the Christ figure and he's, he's got to move fast and there's that scene where I think it's Lucy and then and Susan on the back holding onto the mane and it's sort of this glorious like fast-paced ride, but it's also like crazy, uncomfortable, and intimate, and close. I like that image. We are moving closer to Jesus, and he is guiding a path for us, a straight path. I think so often we come to making your path straight, and we think easy. That'll be easy. Have you ever driven down like I-35 to Dallas? You're like, I remember as a kid thinking like, this is flat and straight, you know, and you can go, and then I kept seeing all these mountains next to me that had like like, oh, that was really convenient. Like each side was like left open for a roadway. Wasn't that awesome? And then someone later says, no, what they did was they like dynamite and blow it up. And it took years and years and work and man hours to do all this work. It's hard work. Straight paths are hard work. Jesus sets us on a straight path. In Isaiah 50 we read this about Jesus, but the Lord God helps me, so it's a pre-incarnate like Jesus. The Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint. So Isaiah is prophesying that the Messiah will come and set his face like a flint. We were recently having some work done and they were doing some flooring and they brought out a laser. Apparently a laser beam is like the best way to get straightness. I was worried about getting it on my hand. It might cut me. Okay, sorry. 
I'm obviously not real handy. Um, Jesus is a laser beam. And he sets his face like flint. And we see that in Luke 9, 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. The straight path is not always comfortable. The straight path will lead right through the cross that Jesus went to. It has to. Let me make that practical. It's going to be hard, but I'll try. You told somebody, I'll hang out with you at 8 o'clock. Someone you like better says, can we hang out? You're in a conflict, right? What do you do? Well, if you say, I'll just text this person, say, I'm running a little late, and I'm going to try to please this person, like I'm living in this, I'm veering around straightness. But what I need to do is what? Just say, I've already got plans, and face the fact that that's really hard, because I really wanted to get to know that person, but I already told this person I'd hang out with them. Now, that is a really bad, silly illustration. I'm just trying to give you like a picture, because you can apply this to anything. Like, maybe, um, I mean, this can apply to any area of life. Like, the right path often is uncomfortable, and so what we end up doing is we're so afraid of conflict and discomfort that we're the ones that meander, we're the ones that veer, we're the ones that shape off. And what the gospel frees us to do is to accept the fact that our identity is in Christ. We're on his back. We're not trying to make people like us. We're not trying to secure our future. We're not trying to be somebody. We're simply going to live out of the gospel. And that path is straight, but it can be painful. Why is it painful? Because it includes repentance. It includes us uncovering areas where we are prone toward sin and self, selfishness. So I just want to close with a story of Eustace. Y'all, I'm doing a lot of Narnia. Eustace is the bad dude, uh, the, the, the not-liked cousin in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, kind of annoying. Uh, and remember, he, wants, he ends up becoming a dragon. If you go into the dragon's lair and touch the coins, you become a dragon. And he had a band that he had put on, and that's what caused the problem. But he grew so big, it became... Really painful, it's on his leg, not his, not his hand. And so he needed Aslan to show up. So Aslan comes, but Aslan doesn't just come and cut it off and say, you're free. Here's the description. Aslan tells Eustace, you will have to let me undress you. And Eustace says, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you. But I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just laid flat down on my back to let him do it. And the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made it bearable was my thought of the pleasure of feeling, you know, something just freshly pulled off, like a scab or a, a sore. And he says, it hurts. And like Billy O, I hate quoting old English stuff like that because I don't know. It hurts like, what would be a modern, what would be an English American? It just hurt really bad. But he says, it was such fun to see that skin being peeled away. And while he peeled it, this is Asley and the Christ figure who's peeling away this dragon skin of sin and self, selfishness off of Eustace. He says, there I was as smooth and soft as a, as a um, switch. And I had softer than I'd ever been. And then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that because I was so tender. And he threw me into the water. And it smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. 
And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why I had turned into a boy again. When we, in our Christian lives, allow pockets where we're leaning on our own understanding, where our worldview is either inconsistent or we are inconsistent with it, those are sin areas. Those are areas where we need to repent. But yet, those are the very areas we will protect ourselves and do everything we can to avoid being exposed. And my point of reading this story from Voyage of the Dawn Treader is it, Lewis does a beautiful job. It's painful. A straight path being buried, for, uh, what's the word? Burrowed forward is painful. It breaks through rock. It breaks through calluses. But when you come through it, what are you getting? What are you aiming at? What is, a straight, what is the straight path going toward? Have you ever asked yourself that question? When you read this proverb, he will make straight your paths. Where are you going? It's like, what? okay, I've got a straight path. What's at the other side? What's the answer? Jesus, the kingdom of God, heaven. All of our ways are to be going straight. In any area that you're veering, you may like the feeling of it in the moment, but it will ruin you and it will discredit you, and it will be your downfall. So in all of our ways, let's acknowledge him. My hope is, here's my hope as I conclude, that in this politically crazy social media time, that as this world is coming out with information, as we're developing our worldview, our beliefs, that we will begin to invite Jesus in more and more to shaping those views that everything we would say, Lord, I, I believe this is what you would have me believe about this. In areas where you're uncertain, that's totally fine. Just don't be so dogmatic then. Those gray areas that you don't know, then don't act like you know. Have some humility. Be able to sit with somebody that's in a different political party, a different view, a different religion, and have a conversation relaxed because you trust in Jesus. You don't have to defend and prove everything. Does that make sense? That's worldview 101 based on the gospel.